I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Earth reaching its highest temperature on record for a fourth day in a row. 10 million Americans are under warning for extreme heat this morning as tornadoes touch down in Colorado with softball-sized hail wreaking havoc. The sea ice surrounding Antarctica is well below any previous recorded winter level. That's what's shown by satellite data, and it's a worrying new benchmark for a region that once seemed resistant to global warming. A new analysis from dozens of scientists finds that conditions on Earth may be moving outside the safe operating space for humanity. Those are just a few of the headline stories on climate change from the past few weeks. Barely a day goes by without a new milestone being broken or another climate-related weather event wreaking havoc somewhere in the world. Just two weeks ago, disastrous flooding in Libya killed thousands, with a study by the World Weather Attribution Group finding that climate change had made the storm that caused the floods 50 times more likely and bringing up to 50% more rain. It's a depressing and scary but all-too-familiar story. The recent scientific assessment of the health of the world found that six out of the nine boundaries beyond which a healthy and habitable planet is in danger of failing have already been broken. Two more are close to being broken. The reason for this? Pollution and the destruction of the natural world caused by humans. On the face of it, it's difficult not to agree with Agent Smith in The Matrix. Human beings are a disease a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. Overly dramatic? Maybe, but maybe not. While the causes of climate change are acknowledged, the solutions are actually quite complex. Not because they're especially difficult, even if they do impede heavily on modern life, but because climate change is a political matter. And where politics are concerned, nothing is straightforward. Take two of the big causes of climate change as an example. Transport accounts for around 30% of global carbon emissions. 72% of those come from road transportation. So we should switch to electric cars fuelled by sustainable electricity as soon as possible, right? Well, yes, but it's not quite that simple. I did so this year, changing two old diesel cars to two electric cars and installing a charger at home. But the cars cost me about £900 a month, and the charger was around £1,500. It's expensive. Then let's look at meat consumption. Livestock production, and that's primarily cows, produce 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And then you have to consider the deforestation caused by mass cattle farming. It's a huge issue. But do we really want to stop eating meat en masse? It would appear not, as while plant-based eating has been on the increase and is now fairly mainstream in the UK, so has meat production, with a global increase of over 7% in the last five years. Going back to the political point, it is not in the best interests of the government to force people to use electric cars or to financially incentivise people to eat meat. That could cost them votes. I'm announcing today that we're going to ease the transition to electric vehicles. You'll still be able to buy petrol and diesel cars and vans until 2035. We will give people far more time to make the necessary transition to heat pumps. The proposal for government to interfere in how many passengers you can have in your car, I've scrapped it. The proposal that we should force you to have seven different bins in your home, I've scrapped it. The proposal to make you change your diet and harm British farmers by taxing meat, or to create new taxes to discourage flying or going on holiday. I've scrapped those too. And nor will we ban new oil and gas in the North Sea. So does it come down to us as individuals? Let's face it, me having gone vegetarian a year ago or driving electric cars is not going to stop the planet warming. Or does it come down to businesses being more responsible in their sustainability efforts? Today, I'm talking to John Brown, founder of B Corp certified agency Don't Cry Wolf and a passionate climate change activist. 
But before we got into sustainable business practice, I asked John about his views on what's happening on a macro level. In broad context, the idea that we were going to somehow pass this sort of 1.5 degrees worth of warming at some point in the next 10 to 15 years has been significantly narrowed, right? And the, and, and the likelihood is, is that we'll be kind of around about 2027, we'll have sort of, sort of surpassed that. And back in June, you know, there was a recording of, you know, over 1.5 degrees of surface temperature. So we were kind of, we'd sort of keep nipping at it, um, if you like. Now that 1.5 degrees of uh, surface temperature warming was the stretched target of what we should be limiting our warming to. Yeah. Um, the overarching target was two degrees, which I think a lot of people forget, but the stretch target was 1.5. And we've got right now an El Nino event, which is a natural climate phenomenon, but obviously a natural climate phenomenon in the context of a real, of, of a man-made uh, warming. Uh, you know, everything, it's just everything's magnified, right? And I think yeah. this is the thing that, that that often gets lost in debate or discussion, you know, you've got one side of the house saying, oh, yeah, but this is all just natural. And you've got the other side of the house saying, no, this is all just um, man-made. It's actually some, it's, it's, that, it's, the, it's always this grey area in the middle, right? Which is that, yeah, sure, there are natural events that take place. There have always been, uh, you know, the natural events of uh, significant proportion, weather events, if you like, um, droughts, forest fires, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, the reason why it's so important now is that those events are more frequent, more substantial and more prolonged than ever before. And that's due to this side of the house, which is the fact that we're kind of spending a lot of time pumping a lot of bad things into our atmosphere and, and amplifying those, those, those moments. So I think you know, the, the, the situation which we're in and you know, what the latest sort of reports were today was that there's a big event coming, this El Nino event, which happens naturally, but it obviously it will be amplified as a result of what's happening on a sort of human level. Yeah, and that is a worry because we're you know previously we were already seeing um, over the last few years you know mass droughts, extreme temperatures, huge forest fires, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, flooding in in other parts of the world, um, which is contributing to a real problem, a real issue. And I mean, it, although there's been this one-off, I say one-off, this one day where we, we've, we've surpassed this temperature. I mean, even in, in this same story, you know, June was the hottest ever average temperature around the entire world. Even it's affecting places like Antarctica and, and Asia yeah. and places in Europe. And I mean, you know, it, you can't ignore this, can you? But I, I get the sense that people still do. And like you said, El Nino is a, is a natural event, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. And therefore, you're going to get some people saying, yeah, but it's a natural event, you know, full stop. Yeah, do, do you know what it is? It's not that they're ignoring it because they think, oh, it's just natural. You know, the, the, the scientific consensus is sort of 98%, you know, global scientific consensus that, it, that we're contributing to significant and potentially catastrophic climate change. It's becoming fewer and fewer individuals around the world talking about the fact that they you know this is you know, this is a hoax and stuff like that i mean still you get the fucking tinfoil hat wearing guys uh, kind of you know bang on about the fact that this is all a hoax and it's orchestrated by nasa and stuff like that but then in the same breath they're talking about the world being flat and you know they you 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 should ignore them yeah um what it is is that it's a addiction to the status quo right we don't need more climate scientists. We have everything that we need to say. And now I'm speaking as someone who's doing a master's in environment in sustainable futures, right? And has got a degree in environmental science. Yeah. We don't need more people to look at more of the science. Everything exists, right? Everything's sat there. We've got the technology that, to be able to address this. Uh, we've got the science to be able to pr prove, you know, what will happen if we don't. We've got all of the information to hand. We've got all of the kind of steps that we should be taking we just don't want to take them right because it's actually hard mm. it is genuinely hard and it, it, it and it, and what it is is an addiction to the status quo right what it is is this sort of uh, it's far easier just to kind of bumble along um with a current global economy that is completely extractive 
rather than circular and completely linear rather than distributed. And it's really easy to just carry on because we fucking love it, man. Like, because it's like McDonald's arrives within five minutes because Netflix kind of pumps stuff yep. um, into our eyeballs so we don't have to pay too much attention because I can kind of get into a TikTok hole just having a poo in the morning. You know, there's <laughs> like, so, do you know what I mean? So it, because we're, we're addicted to that and we don't really want to give any of it up. And I think that's been the challenge, which is it's not that we don't have the tools or the capacity or the brain power or the resources to address this. We have all of those things. It's just that we don't want to do it because it would be uncomfortable. Yeah. On that note, I mean, going back to last year, you did something which to me seemed completely uncomfortable and very challenging. We'd take this train to the conference in Rome. Yeah. Which seemed to take you, I don't know, it seemed to take you about five days to get there, do the conference, get back, which if you'd have flown would have been two days. Do you want to just yeah. talk through this? What was your what was your motivation to do this? What was the what was the reaction to it? I mean, did it was what yeah, what was the reaction to it? I let's say the motivation, and I swear down, it didn't even occur to me not to take the train. You know, before that, I took my entire family to Vienna and back by train. Right, you know, two young kids and what have you. Traveling by train is not an extraordinary feat. You know, people people are doing much more interesting things and far more sort of endurance things than me sat on my ass sipping an espresso and uh, eating a croissant for bed for forty-eight hours. Right, you know, there's there's. It, it was just to showcase the not even showcase i like traveling by train and so i was going to do that and yeah i guess there's a bit of sanctimony there there was a there was a bit of sanctimony there which is like we're going to a be for good leaders conference which is all about how we can run regenerative businesses that tackle yeah. things such as climate change and every fucker's flying there and you don't need to yeah and that really like, that did get my goat a bit and i did feel smug and there was sanctimony, definitely. Not, I was, was going to say like thinly veiled. It wasn't even thinly veiled. It was just there for all to see. But you know, I went there and back by train, and um, it was a cool journey. The, the, the way out was sort of we had a we had an engine breakdown, so that was a bit of an issue. But you know, it got sorted, and we were and, and it was fine. And um, and what I was trying to highlight was uh, you know a few different things. I suppose number one, you can do it. Yep. And actually, it's quite a cool way to travel. I've got quite a lot of work done, um, and it was super pleasant. Um, number two, it costs way too much to do that, and that's a real problem. That's the systemic change bit. Yep. Is that it cost me the best part of 1,200 quid, and there was flights for 45 quid return yeah, to, yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to Rome. That's a real systemic change. Again, that's something that we have to look at systemically and ask ourselves, why on earth is it costing this amount? to go by train and, and i guess the, the the final thing in all of this is don't be a, don't be a hypocrite man like do you know what I mean? like if you're i don't know if that's it, it, we we know that carbon emissions from flying you know it's one of the things that you should if you want to reduce your carbon footprint really there's three things that you should do one not have any kids two <laughs> uh reduce your intake of, sort of meat and investment yeah. into you know, mass industrial kind of farming and agriculture. And the third thing is to try and fly less, right? If you wanted to reduce your own personal carbon footprint, um, which I'd much rather you didn't do anything about your own personal footprint. This is a message, by the way, to everyone out there. Forget about reducing your own personal carbon footprint, march on Downing Street and break the whole fucking system down. And then, <laughs> and, and then still go, to hop, go on holiday to Marbella. That would be the most important thing that you could do. But yeah, you know, that, so we had this event that was all supposed to be about, you know, how wonderful we are and how much we're leading regenerative businesses and this is the new economy and everyone's flying there and it's absurd and it shouldn't happen. What was the reaction on the ground to that? Or did you not really talk about that when you were there? Uh, every, uh, no, I mean, we, we, I, you know, people were coming up to me and saying, oh, wow, you, I can't believe you took the train from, you know, from Cornwall yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, that was another And were you like, well, that. yeah, you flew your twat? Or... <laughs> I, I just said, well, you know, it's a really great way of traveling and um and it all came down to time right they all it all came down down to time they were like oh yeah well i don't have the time to travel by that i'd love to but i just didn't have the time it's like well you know i mean I'm, i wasn't i'm not scratching my ass i'm still you know running a business and doing everything like that like you just manage your time differently 
to, to allow for these things or don't go. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, just don't like, I don't know, maybe don't, you know, don't go. I don't know what, you know, yeah. whether, whether it's that important then if, if you can't get there sustainably, maybe just don't go or maybe just join in virtually or maybe have other conversations. I, I don't know. It, you know, it's, um, it was just something that I felt needed to be done and that we needed to kind of address and stuff like that. And, and I wanted to, and I love traveling by train. And I want to show that you could do it. Yeah. I think you made the point <laughs> from my perspective. Anyway, it certainly made the point to me at that conference. Is there anything you can highlight that came out of that conference about running more sustainable businesses that you've seen actioned in the last 12 months? And I say that because often you see, especially with conferences, there's a lot of great talk goes on and then people go away, they go back to their everyday lives and nothing changes. Yeah. This sounds like it's going to be a bit of a bash. I don't care. It is a bashing. That one in particular, there was another one I went to recently, the same same conference, but this year's version in, in Amsterdam. With that first one, and, and actually to, to an extent a bit of the second one, just, it, I don't know, man, it felt like, you know, it felt like we were all there going, oh, look at all the great work we're doing and we're going to save the world and stuff like that. Especially in the first one, there was little kind of honest discussion about, well, hang on a second, a lot of us have been in a business for a fair few years and, you know, emissions, inequality and governance has only been going one way and that's negatively yeah, um, or in a negative fashion. You know, so, like, can we just pause for a moment and rather than this turn into a sort of huge backslapping sort of exercise, can we just kind of take pause and say, well, actually, very little has changed. Yeah. Like, really very little has changed. I mean, there's 7,000 B Corps in the world, right? We are a a, a tiny fraction of what the global economy looks like. Now, that's mm. not to say that's not important. I think it is important, and it's a growing movement, and it's growing with pace and um and I think with credibility and, and a real sense of um, drive around ushering in a more regenerative economy, but we're still a fraction of that economy, right? And I just felt like it was almost weird sort of, you could you could genuinely walk away from that conference and go, oh, it's sorted, we're fine. Yep. Right? Because, you know, because Chloe is now doing sustainable handbags, we're, we're wicked. Yeah. It's, it's just not the real world. I think it missed still a lot of voices from the global south which you know holds the largest amount of natural capital which we're still not even addressing and will also be the most impacted by climate change and has contributed the least amount to man-made emissions right and there's no voices really representing that discussion which i think is a massive show taking that from a marketing communications perspective and i do that because obviously this podcast addresses yeah. that sector yeah in your view again going back over the last 12 months have you seen much change in that sector into i don't know anything around sustainability or, or the way people are running businesses or is it people are refusing to go and travel to meeting anything at all have you seen anything change yeah look i think there's been some positive stuff i think there's people more aware there's more b corp agencies for example in our world which i think is a good step because they're taking um the time and the effort and the money and the resources it takes to actually genuinely analyze their business and i think there's a real desire to want to kind of you know do better which i think is positive right i think there's the, the biggest change I've seen has been internal change amongst agencies. And I can really only speak, you know, I mean, that's my, my world, right? So yeah. agencies are space taking more time, effort, money, resources to change themselves. The challenge is that that is not translating into the work and it all goes to shit when there's profit involved. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and profit and regenerative practices aren't mutually exclusive things you can do both yeah but it's harder to do both right so you know there's change positively from the agency world i think there's desire from the in-house world or from organizations to be part of this discussion this debate what the what we end up with can be still really flimsy really weak and not rooted in actual evidence or 
insight and that's where the challenge is right so you've still got the asa which i suppose is another positive the asa is really kind of added some teeth into addressing things like greenwashing campaigns so you've yeah. got the asa you know fining and issuing sanctions left right and center to organizations but here's my problem with that is that it, the creatives and the communicators and the marketers shouldn't be fucking doing it in the first place yeah, yeah. you know like it's too important to keep sort of paying having this sort of kind of cat and mouse game which is like let's see whether we can make this sort of dubious net zero claim and see if we get told off versus let's not make that claim in the first place because it pollutes and muddies the water on something that is urgent and incredibly important for us to address and i think that is where i lose faith and get quite disheartened in my industry is that there's a, i still think a fairly basic grasp or understanding of the science and the yeah and i guess the sort of the situation and therefore if a client is turning around and saying oh well by the way you know we're we're, we're, we're investing so much into net zero and we're actually carbon neutral or carbon whatever it might be and they've not got the they've not got the insight or perhaps even the confidence to really, really challenge that. Now, in the PRCA's uh, Misinformation and Climate Crisis Group, yep. which is um, run by Laura and Brecker, there's research to suggest that people are challenging this more, right? Right. The, the thing is, I think they're challenging it if it's really, really, really overt. Yes, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That you know, it's more subtle than that, and it's more important than that as well. And I just still think that we're kind of, you know, there's everyone. We talk a great game around ESG. You know, like ESG emerged from people wanting to diversify their funds away from apartheid and tobacco. Like it's not a new thing. That's where it came from. And as as a financial instrument, so that people weren't investing in sort of systemic racism or you know, killing people through lung cancer. You know, and it's almost gone full circle now to the fact that, like, Philip Morris is talking about it being an ESG stock at one stage. And that is that is part and parcel of coming from, like, comms and and crap comms at that. You know, that, you know, oh, because we're now diversified out of tobacco, which they haven't, and because now we're good for the planet, which they're not, we're somehow an ESG stock. And, and that really, for me, showcases sort of, we haven't really got to grips with this yet, have we? we there isn't mm. someone in the corporate comms team turning around and saying, um, sorry, could you not say that, please, because you sound like a fucking idiot. Right. And it's not true. Yeah. I, I guess my perspective on this is going back to what you said about maybe, maybe hypocrisy in this and, and profits is that, I see a lot of individuals who are trying to make efforts to change their behaviour on, on a personal level. And even even if I look at myself, so I, st- I stopped eating meat last summer. It was around the time we had that really record heat waves. And yeah. I got into watching videos about how, you know, farming, particularly um, cows, was just really damaging for the environment and made a decision then, okay, well, I won't eat meat anymore. So I stopped doing that. And and we changed to electric cars and things. So we're making an effort of, of some kind, whether that's enough or not, you can argue till the cows come home. Um, but I see people making individual efforts, but then they go to work. And like you say, maybe there's a, a project or something that they shouldn't really be working on, but they're getting paid for it and they're getting paid well for it. So there's, they will go through and do that. I think without questioning too hard because of either they're employed or they're, I don't know, like you said, the profitability comes into it. And there is it feels to me like there is, there is a, a jarring, a lot of hypocrisy around the individual beliefs of someone and what they're actually doing in the workplace or the, the, the work they're doing. Is, do you think that's true? Is that just really cynical of me? No. So, okay, there's a few things there which I'm just going to unpack, if you don't mind. No, go, go ahead. Through, go through each one, right? So individual action versus collective action, right? So individually, as a northern hemisphere, uh, you know, middle-class individual, right, 
Yeah. On average, you're going to contribute 0.0 to the power of eight, three percent. So 0.08 more noughts, three percent to global emissions. Yeah. Um, whether you have a hamburger or not is not going to make an enormous amount of difference, right? Obviously, if collective action would mean if everyone did that, it would make an enormous amount of difference. But that's yes. not. It's also not what's going to happen either. That's kind of. That, and, it, and it isn't happening. You know, veganism, for example, has slowed after a sort of significant yeah. peak yeah. and things such as that. But so first and foremost, I always say to this, it's great for us, you and me, right? We switch to an electric car. Cool. That's awesome. But, and here's the but, right? We are not the population, right? We are still sat in a fairly privileged part of the socioeconomic chart, okay? Yeah. The majority of people are living on a living in a system which is working against them quite heavily. Yeah. So yeah. they are working. They are waking up each day and thinking, "Well, I have to get to this job to get that twenty quid in my back pocket, yep. so that I can put food on my table on the, on the table." Yep. So I don't want anyone ever to feel guilty about the fact that they're driving a diesel van to that job and that the only holiday that they take once every five years is abroad, which they get on a flight for. Absolutely not. I think they should, you know, who am I to say any of that type of stuff? What I want people to vote with is not with their pound, but is with their vote, right? So the, th the, the thing that is accessible to everyone that is free is your vote, right? Mm -hmm. It's how you're voting. It's how we're bringing in change at the highest possible level that we can influence in order to have a shift in the status quo and in the systemic environment that we're living in and if and in all honesty if you change nothing about your life other than inform yourself politically become more active in that space so that you can influence at as a higher level as possible other people and yourself to go and make that change at the polling booths I think we would start to see a, a, a genuine shift. So that's that's the first thing. Okay. So then it comes on to work, right? So wh whether you should be doing this at work and whether you should be bringing your values into work. If you are comfortable, right, and if you have the capability and the financial security in order to make that effective change and make that switch tomorrow and go, do you know what, fuck this, I'm not working with this organization anymore because it's a bit hypocritical, it doesn't align with my values, then make that decision. And if you're not, then yeah, perhaps you're a bit of a hypocrite because you've got, you, there's no reason for you not to be able to make that decision. But that's a very few, or that's not, not a great number of people in that position. So if you are not in that position and you're working at an organization that is jarring against your values, things that you can do is to try and influence and educate change and bring a bit of a voice to the table and speak up uh, around this subject to try and showcase how an organizations that, that the organizations that have changed that have aligned more closely with their values the benefit that they get and to try and give yourself moments of opportunity in which you are bringing the voice of the world of climate of nature to the actual table Mm -hmm. and see if you can influence change that way. And if you still can't, then yes, by all means, look for a just transition that is going to work for you and your family. But, you know, this sense that, and this is the problem with climate activists in the past, is that there's this, just this black and white approach, you know, switch to an electric car. Well, the IPCC report doesn't say everyone should buy an electric car. The IPCC report says vehicle usage should halve by 50, you know, should halve. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's 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 not of any kind. So it's just the fact that we, you, you and I, need a car. We drive around, like, and we've got the money to get an electric car. Yeah, right. So you know, it, it's it's this sort of black and white approach. You know, drive electric car, don't fly, um, quit your job, and do something more meaningful. So, there's very few people in the world who are in that privileged enough position to actually kind of do any of that type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And all yeah. the while. You know, you've obviously then got us in the global north turning around to the global south going, oh, don't burn coal, even though sure. we've done it for the last 100 years. <laughs> oh, don't fly, even though we've done it for the last 50 years. Uh, you know, don't, don't focus on mass consumerism, even though we're still doing it. Yeah, it's just, it's bullshit. That's the hypocrisy that I really, really rile against. I don't, 
I have empathy and love for the person who is on the breadline trying to make ends meet. And I genuinely do not expect them to sit there for one moment and consider whether the action that they're taking that day or the thing that they're shoving in their mouth or the car that they're driving is in some way going to impact the climate because they're looking after their kids or because they're trying to keep a roof over their head. Yeah, and especially at the moment, yeah, it's it's difficult. It is difficult. I totally agree. And even in, if you take the last year or two, the, the way the world as a whole has gone, it, it's it's become more difficult actually. Um, yeah, of so I yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying there. Okay, I mean, look, today we're hearing rumours that the uh, UK government is going to sort of um, backslide on its one, like eleven point six billion pound commitment to financing. Um, or providing finance um, to address the climate change, particularly in the global south. Um, and one of the reasons given in this memo, and we, we don't know whether it's actually happening or not, one of the reasons given was, um, you know, pandemic, war in Ukraine, right? Yeah. And um, global economy. So those are the reasons given. I struggle with some of this, man. I really do, because... Um, it's going to sound awful, but, look, you know, war is super profitable to a certain number of very, very powerful individuals, organisations with very powerful lobbying voices in international governments. So at some point in time, you go sit back and think, well, you know, like Halliburton and BAE Systems and various other sort of organisations are probably quite enjoying the fact that that arms are being produced and sold in mass quantities like never before. But I don't, you know, I can't solve that that uh, particular political conundrum. I'm just highlighting the fact that to some people, war is incredibly profitable. Yeah. yeah. And we look at the pandemic and we look at the the economic kind of climate and things such as that. And really, you know, I think it's becoming more and more evident of the mismanagement that took place on both of those things, right? That has shoved us into a really, really tough um, situation. So then it does just come back to the idea of, well, then vote with your vote, right? We know, and, and you know, hold the next government, whatever it is, to account. If it is a Labour government and Keir Starmer is, you know, and his, his government are as, um, as Tory as a Labour person can be, um, you know, like make sure that they're not going to backslide. Embrace the idea that they're thinking about a, or putting forward a manifesto that, include, that incorporates a sort of regenerative strategy and a renewable energy approach. You know, have that as part and parcel of your campaigns. I think from a comms and marketing perspective, we're still going way too far down the line of, oh, well, let's talk about how we use 20% less water in our T-shirt, rather than how do we get this fucking global government to switch to a more regenerative approach? How do we give natural capital a voice when it's excluded from GDP, right? How do we do things like that? Like those are the campaigns which I'd love to see, and I don't think we're seeing many of them. Here's a question then. Do, do you do you fear that this, this whole topic around sustainability, the environment, it's not that it gets forgotten, but we had a pandemic which was massive, yeah. right? It, it dominated the news agenda, understandably, and what people were talking about. We've got a cost of living crisis where people are struggling to put food on the table and rents are so high they can't rent a place to live. You've got a war in Europe. All, all of these things, go, even I'm going to throw this in there, I hate it, but AI is getting so much tension. Yeah. All of these things come along. And there will be other things, right? That's going to happen in the next 12 months. There'll be things that we haven't thought of at the moment that'll come out. The environmental side of things tends in my view, to take a back seat to the more topical things that happen. So th- this is really fucking important, but it seems to get pushed, it gets quelled. Do you know what I'm but, saying? Look, 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 and it's, I totally know what you're saying, man, right? You know, when you're when people are dying around you because of a, a, a pandemic, when you're unable to feed your children because of a cost of uh, living crisis, and when you're uh, ducking from bombs, right? And, and trying not to get shot. And then all the while you're worried that your job's going to be taken over by GPT. And of course, climate kind of, uh, or, the, or the climate crisis um, feels less important because those things yeah. are on your doorstep and they're immediate. I think the challenge we've had with, from a climate communications perspective over years 
is that we've not done a good job of actually linking some of those things to the fact that actually, not that it all comes down to climate, but if you take the pandemic, right, if we're, if we're going to continue to deforest and we're going to encroach further and further into nature and live more densely populated lives with less access to sanitation um, due to obviously also sort of um, economy economic pressures, but if we're living closer and closer to the borders of where we shouldn't really be in, in nature... Uh, then the chances of a pandemic arising again increase, right? Because, you know, we are exposing ourselves to things that we shouldn't be exposing ourselves to. We're living more densely populated to allow the transmission to yep. take place. Uh, so you know, there is a climate argument to be made in and around this. If you're thinking about AI and you're thinking about cost of living and things such as that, if you look at regenerative economy and you really do study things like donut economics, like hero of mine, Kate Warworth, an economist, sort of talks or came up with this idea or concept of donut economics. There's actually, you know, there's there's plenty of evidence to suggest that you can see a path towards better pay, better social security, and better safety nets for individuals so that they feel so that they have a better quality of life. Right. And we've not made that link. We've not highlighted the fact that actually if you do do if you do look at a regenerative path, you could actually be putting an extra fiver in your pocket if we get this right. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're incorporating AI ethically and looking at that as an opportunity for, uh, for certainly for addressing climate science or, or, or taking a look at um, your new ways, new jobs, new, new services, et cetera, et cetera, there's ways in which you can kind of make the link and say, well, actually, that can be part and parcel of a regenerative world and it can be a benefit as well. And I think we, we, what we're doing is going, oh, holy shit. Uh, IPCC has just started modelling for four degrees worth of warming. If we yeah. hit four degrees worth of, worth of warming, it really is you're like you're talking about sort of fucking Mad Max territory, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it is. But we spend so much time focusing on that rather than focusing on actually look at what a model would look like if we get this right. Look at the world yeah. that you'd be living in. Look at the uh-huh. security you would have as an individual. Look at the opportunities that exist within that. Yeah. So it is a comms challenge in that way. Well, yeah, yeah. Do, do you ever think that, because you're really passionate about this, do you ever think you're fighting a bit of a losing battle? Oh, man, all the, yeah, all the, like, all the time. <laughs> like, I, I, honestly, I have, there's not a month that goes by where I don't have a, a real sense of, actually, I just want to probably give all this shit up and go and spend time with my kids. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I open up some fucking bakery in Cornwall and, you know, just try and live as simply and meaningfully with my family as possible. And actually what happens, happens. Like every month I have that crisis in my mind, every month. So what keeps keeps you going? Ego, probably a bit of it. Um, (laughs) So there's a bit of that that I'd say uh, I also need to, you know, I also am a human being that has to have, that needs a certain amount of security for my world. This is, you know, this is providing some level of security. Altruistically, I think even if there's one person listening to this podcast today that may make a decision to be more politically active or to try and influence internally, I think that's that keeps me buzzing around it. But it may, like... I don't, I'm not trying to be nihilistic or anything like that, but you know, it is a loop. We, I, it, the evidence suggests it's a losing battle right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. We, the emissions are only going one way. Natural capital yeah. is declining. Yeah, people's living conditions are deteriorating, and you know we are facing potentially a real threat of mass migration. And I mean that from the sense of. You know that is that is a global issue that we need to address because yeah. certain parts of this world are going to become fairly uninhabitable. So, you know, we, it, it is a, there is it is a losing battle. Like, and the, but the reason why it's a losing battle is not because we don't have the intelligence or ingenuity or resources. It's because the people who are profiteering most from the status quo are also the most powerful and therefore don't want to let it go. Can we talk about B Corp a bit? You, you mentioned this earlier. Yeah. Now I think you said there's seven thousand B Corp members at the moment, yeah, which roughly, I'm sure. Yeah, I've got which that is wrong, which yeah. is small, but 
it seems to to me to have gained a lot of traction in the last year, eighteen months or so. Um, yeah. Certainly, I I see it being talked about it more in in, in my circles. But against that, there has also been a lot of, or some at least, criticism of B Corp about yeah. some of the members it has allowed in. The notable yeah. one being Nespresso. Yeah. And also, I have seen the odd, again, maybe it's a small agency owner, I can't think specifically, but who has said, well, what's the benefit of me going through this process if everyone else is going through the process as well? And I, I know this misses the point entirely, but... If everyone's B Corp, then yeah. So what's the point? That does miss the point entirely. It does. It does miss the point. I totally agree. And then uh, I think it was before Christmas, Brugdog got kicked out of the the, the the thing, really. But well, they resigned from it. Yeah, they, oh, they, did they resign? Yeah. They didn't get kicked out. I think, yeah, well, okay. I mean, they, they. I think the yeah. I mean, reading between the lines, I think if they hadn't resigned, they would have been kicked out. If you see what right. I mean. Um, yeah. What what's your take on everything that's gone on around B Corp in the in the last sort of twelve months or so? So let, let's 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 take take those bit by bit. I'm going to start with the small agency owner, small business owner. B Corp is not a fucking USP, and if yeah. it is a USP or you're you're thinking of it as a USP, then you've yeah. got two problems there. One, you've probably got a crap business because mm-hmm. if you're thinking that a certification is going to be what stands out for you as a USP as an organisation then honestly go and have a look at your business model and your services and go and do something else. Yeah. And, the, and the second part on that is, you know, having a look left and right and working out, well, who else is going to be a B Corp? We've got loads of competitors now who are B Corps, and I love each and every one of them for doing it. Yeah. Right? Because it shows a level of transparency and dedication to measuring and understanding your organization that I think if more businesses did that, we would be in a better place economically and on the path to a more regenerative sort of world and a, and a kind of and a, and a greener more kinder economy so i think that sort of addresses the other thing if you're looking at it as a usp go and do something else man like like if you if i mean if you're looking at any certification as being a usp just go and do something else like yeah totally how agree. boring how boring to address your life in that way but then if you look at the, the other bits and pieces it's been through a lot of criticism absolutely it's been through a lot of criticism and that's what makes it a vibrant and meaningful movement in my mind so Nespresso, let's take Nespresso as one. I think people have talked about Evian being another and a few other organisations that have come through um, that have really raised uh, some eyebrows around us. You've got to make a decision at one point in your time, in, in life to say, okay, well, am I going to look at Nespresso through the lens of what a polluting, horrific, awful organisation that is never, ever going to change and I can't believe it's now B Corp certified, what a mockery it makes of the movement? Or am I going to look at it through the lens of this organisation has an incredibly checkered history with sustainability, with human rights, with a heap of other issues and areas that it needs to focus on? Could this be the point at which we see change? And to give it the benefit of the doubt, at least for the next three years, which is when B Corps are recertified every three years, to see whether it has made meaningful progress on this path. Because certification is not the destination for B Corps, right? If you Mm -hmm. look at some of the best sort of organizations within the B Corp world, they're constantly improving each time they're, they're recertified, right? Yep. We went through recertification, upped our points. Milk and Honey went through the recertification, massively up their points. You know, they, they, there's, there's definitely, that is the point of B Corp. It's to give you a framework with which to continuously progress and improve your organization. Now, if Nespresso in a year and a half's time after their, their certification have made no improvements, have made no progress, and also bear in mind that the B Corp standards are changing and they're going to get harder, more meaningful um, and more kind of like, look, these are, the, these are the minimum criteria that you have to meet to become a B Corp. And they, they fail that. Then we can say, right, well, you know, A, you're, not, you're decertified and, and B, you weren't in this for the right, for the right spirits. Yeah. But yeah. To, to level all of that blame and to like throw that all at them right from the start just gives them no chance to actually progress and and and, and move forward. I don't want B Corp to become a good person's private members club, or you just all sit here and sort of jerk off at how good we all are, right? <laughs> yeah, it cannot become that. What it has to be is a movement and a community that embraces positive change and progress 
and moves people and organizations through a framework that allows them to significantly alter their business from when they first become certified to forevermore. And that they're only going to do that through evolving their standards. So making sure that the standards are up to scratch and it's not going to be perfect. The next iteration of standards aren't going to be perfect either, but they should be an evolution. So evolve their standards to have a movement that is also addressing the status quo. So having a, you know, bit more of a political voice and the more organizations we get of all different shapes and sizes, the higher chance we stand of it. But from a community perspective, to have a community that is willing to perhaps give the benefit of the doubt at the start and to hold feet to the fire during the process um, so that then organizations such as Nespresso, such as Evian, have a chance to prove their worth. And if they don't, then they're not going to be certified. I think that's a really good point, actually. And it's a very big distinction between, I guess, the the companies I see talking about it, who, unsurprisingly, go through the process, get certified, and want to announce that they've been certified. And it's almost like that is presented as the end goal, not the journey of getting there. And not even the journey of getting there, the journey of, okay, well, we got X amount of points, so therefore we need to improve this and this and this. So maybe it's a... It's a comms thing, man. It's, it's, it's yeah, it is like exactly. that, that, that is a comms thing. Yeah. So if you, and, and actually, you know, the, probably the B Lab community has got a bit of blame there as well because we, we, you know, the, the, it's not done enough to sort of, I suppose, maybe provide guidance into how you should communicate as a as a, yeah. as a B Corp, right? Uh, you know, if you're presenting certification as done and dusted, right? Yeah. And you know, look how great we are. We're on eighty-two points, you know. So we just kind of got in by the fucking skin of our teeth. Yeah. Um, and you know this is brilliant we're a really sustainable business now um like can we can we have some of your money then that is a real problem right that is an issue that we've got to look at from a comms perspective if it is we are we've dedicated last three years of work to really understanding our organization we have just made it into b corp world right we've managed to get certification which we're deadly deeply proud of and we we are going to celebrate this i unashamedly celebrate this but our path now has just begun. Right? Our journey now yeah. has just begun. That's a completely different narrative. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you're an organisation that is just sort of going, well, we're B Corp, but so is everyone else, and so we don't want to announce it, well, you're missing the point, man. Totally. Maybe, maybe that's the, the, like I said, the bits that I've seen where people are saying, well, I don't see the point in getting certified. It's missing the point of that journey and missing the point of improving and constant improvement rather than just being able to say you're certified. So maybe that's where that comes from. But if they're going to do all the work, right? If they're going to do all the hard work anyways and they're going to do things like a materiality analysis and explore their governance procedures and look at their benefits or impacts on society and on the environment and stuff like that, and they don't want to get B Corp certified, don't. I totally love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if if you're not... If you're not going to do that stuff, unless there's some sort of like reward yeah, of, yeah. you know, notoriety, then, you know, jog on, man. man like, that's totally, totally wrong way. Yeah, okay. Just to finish off then, you've talked a lot about being more perhaps politically active as a as a call to action, if you like, yeah. on this. This is a difficult one, but we, we've already talked about cost of living, war, you know, all, all the other things going on. Do you think that sustainability is actually going to be high on people's personal agendas when it comes to their political choices, who they choose to vote for, what, you know, the political activism, if you like, that, that they may not take on? Um, I think it, if it's framed as sustainability as is is this sort of thing, then no. Um, and this is what I mean around reframing. It's not sustainability. It's not this thing over there which we just look at and chuck some cash out and you know go and buy a Patagonia T-shirt for. It, it, like it isn't that. It, this is. Do we believe that the current global economic model and system is there to benefit a few, not the many? Is harming our health? our happiness and our planet and that there could be a better way of existing as a human being in this world, then I think we've got a really good shot at it. If it's presented as a plan, it's just over there, you know, here's our sustainability policy or manifesto, then 
No, yeah, I don't think because people won't make the link. People go, well, no, actually, hang on a second. I'd like my energy prices to go down and I'd like yeah. the, um, like a little bit more food security and I would like not to lose my home. So it's about bringing this all together. And this is, this is the why I'm so politically motivated on this. This is not a, just a fight for, you know, keeping within 1.5 degrees or, or of warming or, you know, making sure that we're, that this that sort of the panda is protected or you know it's not that's not the fight the fight is have we reached the end of a system that is extractive linear and completely focused on keeping a select few in power and in influence and in cash have we exhausted that now and should we be evolving and moving on to a system that is distributive, that is circular, that is regenerative, and that has that takes care of the masses' needs first before it starts delivering on anything further. I, I think it's a compelling future if we shift to that, uh, and I think if we're able to communicate that in a way that is that that this is the actual fight, then I think we stand a better chance. Not necessarily a good chance, but I think we stand a better chance. Because that is the fight, Paul. It's not that it isn't, you know, we've wrapped this around 1.5 degrees or we've wrapped this around, you know, there's too much rain or there's too much forest fires, there's too much drought or there's too much. Those, of course, are the sort of the symptoms of seeing an unhealthy, sick planet in certain ways. But it, it is fundamentally a political fight. That's what we are. That, that, that's what we're in. And I think the more we can do to link that, the better chance we have of making this a success. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.